everybody. Welcome to episode 159 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode features two more episodes of the live-action Superboy series. They are episodes 9 and 10 of season 1, titled The Alien Solution and The Troubled Waters. I have a lot of feedback to address this week, so I'm going to get right to that and skip any other preamble I may have. The first bit of feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave was writing in on Man of Screen episode 148, titled Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Greetings, Mike, Patrick, Bob, Dario, and Brian. The best way I can describe this movie is generally stupid, lazy, cheap movie making with a few good moments. The cheap part might be the most responsible for the overall sad state of this one. There are probably a few good movies that could have been made from the concepts here, but the one actually produced is not really one of them, I think. I saw this in the movie theater when it was released, and I've probably seen bits and pieces of it randomly when it's aired on TV, but I've never really gone out of my way to rewatch it. Your discussion did remind me of some good parts, at least in their potential, although not always in their execution. The idea of Nuclear Man was a decent concept as a threat to Superman, but the idea of closing the curtains to shut him down really negates most of his potential. The idea of Superman eliminating the entire nuclear arsenal of the Earth certainly had some good story potential, but it wasn't really examined closely enough. Running roughshod over all the governments of the world really doesn't strike me as Superman's character, and even if he destroyed all the nuclear weapons, the knowledge to re- to rebuild them still exists, unless he, quote-unquote, super-kisses everyone with the requisite scientific and technological know-how. The subplot of the tabloidization of the Daily Planet could have been good if it had been followed a bit more than it was. The character of Lenny, as comic relief, much like Otis, could have been good, but the movie wasn't really serious enough to need much comic relief, I think. I like that Luthor was the villain here, although I wish he'd been better used and better written. Overall, I find the movie sadly disappointing because of what it could have been, but wasn't. I don't loathe it, but I have no real affection for it, the way I do for Supergirl. I've addressed one of my major nitpicks over the commentary with Bob Fisher, but for the sake of completeness, I'll mention it here, that there is truly no dark side of the moon. The sun shines on all faces of the moon at various times. The quote-unquote dark side never faces the earth, but it does face the sun at times. Mike, enjoy your hiatus and the holidays with your girls. I'll be eagerly awaiting your voice in my earbuds after the new year. Live long and prosper, Dave. <laughs> and uh, Dave uh, added uh, an addendum here. I forgot to include my thanks to all you gentlemen for your coverage of the movie. My opinion of the film in no way diminishes my enjoyment of your discussion, which was fun. So, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I really, you know, despite for my having seen the movie when I was uh, very young, I've often said this is the first live. Well, it's true. This is the first Superman movie I remember seeing in the theaters. So I have some affection for the film for that reason above all. More so the memories associated with it than than the film itself. But And I'm not really going to go through Dave's points here verbatim because these are all points that we talked about during our discussion. And my favorite subplot of the movie was the tabloidization of the Daily Planet and I remember really lamenting the fact that that plot line was pretty much all done off screen with just a couple of uh, moments alluding to it. It just seemed a way to get Mariel Hemingway into the story and uh, nothing else. It would have been nice, too, because it would have given Jackie Cooper something to do other than sit behind his desk. I mean, that's one of those things that kind of... And it's really no fault of Jackie Cooper, but what prevents Jackie Cooper from being one of the real great Perry Whites is that, you know... he. He's just the boss. You don't really see that he has any affection for his uh, reporters, at least not the way you see it in uh, Adventures of Superman with uh, George Reeves and uh, what we'll see in Lois and Clark when I start discussing that. And uh, yes, we've gone over the uh, 
dark side of the moon stuff uh, over email and on Facebook. So, and I do think one of us did mention that there was no that the sun did shine on the back side of the moon. I don't remember. Again, it's been so long ago that I really don't remember because Dave is uh, telling me to enjoy my hiatus. The hiatus that I took lasted far longer than I intended it to. My original plan was to bring the show back in January of this year and just kind of life prevented me from bringing it back before April. And now here we are 11 weeks later. In uh, full disclosure, I am actually recording this episode on March 29th. So the first episode back from the hiatus still has not dropped yet. At least not for me. But one of the reasons why the hiatus was so long is because I wanted to get a good run of episodes done and recorded before I brought the show back. And this is really the last one I can do because you have to listen to feedback. The, ne- the next episode you hear feedback on will be my return from the hiatus. So I need to drop an episode to get the feedback. So uh, anyway, thank you, Dave, for writing in. My next email is from Mike Peacock. For uh, those of you who are familiar with Mike, he is the host of Justice's uh, First Dawn, a uh, look at the uh, pre-crisis Justice League of America comic series, which I believe he's uh, on hiatus right now himself, but which just kind of sucks for me because I just started finding time to listen to his show and I'm really enjoying it. But I guess I can enjoy the uh, however many uh, back episodes there are and there are plenty. So Mike's subject is Superman 3, 4, and other thoughts. Dear Mike, as of this month, I've been taking an extremely deep dive into your catalog and I've been loving the Man of Screen podcast. It also doesn't hurt that you spend a large chunk of time covering my formative viewing experiences with Superman, such as the Super Friends seasons and the Christopher Reeve films. I admit, yes, that some of the seasons of Super Friends work better than others. Honestly, if I were to revisit the Wendy and Marvin seasons, I feel that should count as overtime for my regular job, but I still cannot erase the fondness I have for the show as an overall piece. But my main purpose in writing this is to share some thoughts on the latter two Reeve Superman movies, parts three and four, The Quest for Peace, which, of course, you and your guests had some awesome conversations over. Superman 3, I just revisited this about two weeks ago, and much like you all discovered, this really isn't the worst Superman movie of the series. When it leans too much into comedy, it can get a bit difficult to watch, I'll agree. Also, while I love the Lana Lang stuff, is it just me or does anyone else find Ricky to be kind of a grating kid? But Christopher Reeve really does make this movie work, with his Clark Kent getting more time to shine, and his evil Superman role being a lot of fun to watch. I know people love to reference his barroom scene, but I get a chuckle out of him being a complete troll for for the Olympic Games torchbearer. Also, this entry might have have some of the best special effects in the entire series, even rivaling the work done by Richard Donner in the first movie. Also, side confession, I actually didn't mind Richard Pryor in this film. From what I've read up on, Richard was a genuine Superman fan and didn't really want to totally fall back in his comedy routine, but the Salkinds did hire him for that reason. Superman 4. Okay, this isn't a great one, sure, but this entry I used to rent a living hell out of growing up. Maybe because, aside from Superman 2, it's the only other entry that features our hero fighting another superpowered villain. And getting older and revisiting it, I can see that Reeve is still not half-assing his role as Superman, and Gene Hackman is still having fun playing Lex Luthor. Heck, I don't even mind John Cryer as Lenny Luthor. I know, I know, different strokes for different folks, and Cryer didn't do so badly for himself after this movie anyways. So while the film as a whole looks like a badly rushed fan film, the story is almost a prime Bronze Age Superman comic story. I can easily see something a bit more polished being written by Martin Pascoe or Elliot S. Magan with that reliable Kurt Swan artwork in it. Also, you all drew a gasp from me for not being overly familiar with canon films as Masters of the Universe. 
If money from Superman 4 is being funneled into making Masters of the Universe, it at least looks great for it. And you have to see it for Frank Langella as Skeletor. Good lord, this man made the movie worth every second. Long-winded, I know, but I just want to let you know, Mike Zumo, that your show is awesome, and I've been enjoying binging on it. As for what's coming up next for you, I'm itching to hear your impression of the Ruby Spears animated series. That's a show I still feel bad about not lasting longer than one season. The animation quality was awesome, and it did have a neat balance of Bronze Age storytelling with some of the Burn-era character elements. Anyways, great job as always, and I look forward to hearing more soon. Sincerely, Mike Peacock of the gratuitously plugged Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast. So uh, thank you, uh, Mike, for writing in. It's always good to uh, hear from a new listener, even though I've you know known about you and your show for quite some time. And it's always good to hear that some of my peers are listening as well. And, you know, Mike covered a lot. And uh, one of his uh, comments about the Super Friends, that, w- that some of the seasons work better than others. And, yeah, that's true. And I really believe that when people look back fondly on the Super Friends, they're thinking of Season 3, Challenge of the Super Friends. And seasons eight and nine, the uh, legendary superpower show and uh, the Galactic Guardians. Maybe also season four, the world's greatest super friends. But at the most, when people think of their fondness for this show, that's really what they're looking back on. That's really the best of the super friends. The rest is just not so great. I do agree with a lot of Mike's comments on Superman 3. I have a fondness for it as well. I even said during our discussion that I do believe Christopher Reeve was at his best. You know, he was comfortable. And you really saw that in his performance, Superman 3. I liked seeing uh, Clark Kent become more of a fully uh, realized character. And yeah, the evil Superman stuff is a lot of fun. And as far as the special effects, you know, granted, even he mentions the rivaling the work done by Richard Donner. I do believe, despite what happened with Richard Donner, a lot of the special effects people stayed through at least the first three. Some of them even tried to come back for the fourth one before the money ran out and they just weren't paid in. Who can blame them for moving on at that point? And as far as Mike's side confession goes, you know, I didn't mind Richard Pryor either. You know, just that and the toy were right around the same time. And I remember liking him in both when I was a kid. So, you know, I can see that maybe Richard Pryor didn't want to fall back in his comedy routine. But like I said during the show, it's one of those things. If you hire a Richard Pryor, you're going to hire Richard Pryor for what he brings to the table. And what he brings to the table is his comedy routine. Or at the very least, a comedic presence. But again, you know, a lot of people blame Richard Pryor for some of the stuff in that film. But you can't blame the actor for doing the job that he's asked to do. That's kind of the bottom line. And as far as uh, Mike's comment on Superman 4, that is probably the most glowing review I've heard of Superman 4. And it acknowledges that that really isn't a great film. But I think he would agree with Dave that there's so much stuff in that film that could be good. But the movie just looks cheap because it's low budget. And just the fact that it looks like a badly rushed fan film is what takes away most of it. Just It's a half-baked movie. There's really no other way to uh, to put it. And I don't have to go back and listen because I know Bob wasn't familiar with the Masters of the Universe movie. But I think the rest of the guys were, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I, That's another one I didn't completely hate. You know, it wasn't great, but it was fun to watch. And yeah, I agree with Mike. Frank Langella does steal the show as Skeletor. All right. So thank you, Mike, for writing in. And uh, if you want to check out Mike's uh, podcast, uh, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, you can find that at classicjla.podbean.com. I highly recommend it. And to uh, finish off one of the longest 
feedback segments I've had in a very long time, I have an Apple Podcast review, and it is from user IndieHue. This was left on March 8th, 2020. I actually uh, do know who this person is, but I'm not going to uh, reveal his real name. If he wanted it done, I w- he would have put it in there. And it's a five-star review. It's entitled, Come Join Mike on a Trip Through Time and Space. He is covering it all from the very beginning. The Fleischer Shorts, the Kirk Allen serials, the George Reese show, the movies, cartoons, the TV shows. Any and every bit of Superman you will find to watch, he will talk about it. Mike is an awesome and gracious host, not to mention honest, as he calls it, as he sees it. A super effort. Give it a listen. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Indy Hugh, for your review. Uh, if any of you would like to drop feedback, you can do that at manascreen at gmail.com. And any Apple podcast reviews are greatly appreciated. So, after all that, I'm going to take a breath, take a break, play a podcast promo, and then I'll come back with the first of my two Superboy episodes that I'm covering, The Alien Solution. Hang around, folks. Greetings, podcast listener. My name is Charlie Neymar, and I host a show called Charlie's Geekcast, all about me and what I like, but mostly about what I like. 2020 marks a pretty special year for me. For one thing, I'll be turning 40 this year. But this year also marks 10 years since I started podcasting by talking about Superman's adventures in the Bronze Age. Coincidentally, this year also marks 50 years since Superman entered the Bronze Age. To celebrate all of this, this year I'll be doing a series of episodes called Geeking on Superman in the Bronze Age, where I'll be looking at some great Bronze Age Superman adventures that I didn't get around to the first time around. It's a lot of around. So check out Charlie's Geekcast, part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network at twotruefreaks.com. Also, you can find the show at charliesgeekcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start right off with The Alien Solution. Original broadcast date was December 3rd, 1988. This episode was directed by Colin Silvers, And the writing credits are a couple of Longtime DC Comics professionals, Mike Carlin, who edited the post-crisis Superman books for quite some time, and uh, Andy Helfer, who I know was one of the early editors on the Justice League International comics. I'm not sure what else he's done, but he's done uh, quite a bit for DC Comics, in, at least in the late 80s and maybe early 90s, too. I'm not as familiar with Andy Helfer's uh, career as I am Mike Carlin's, but I know he's done quite a bit. The uh, guest cast is... Includes Tom Barr as as student number two, Ray Munich as the paramedic, Dennis Michael as Henry, Jeff Moldovan as the alien warrior, and Todd Seeley as student number one. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The episode begins with Lana Lang falling from the sky inexplicably and Superboy coming to her rescue. They land near her jeep and Superboy tells her to head back to school while he goes after the three guys in the chopper. The rescue is meanwhile being watched through a hazy purple cloud by a mysterious someone. We are then treated to a creepy view, complete with growling of the Watcher's apparent lair. A floating energy cloud moves around inside a cave. Within the cave, there are several glass enclosures that seem to store either bodies or outfits of warriors. The energy floats into one of the cases and disappears into the body or suit within it. The glass shatters and the body within becomes animated. It blasts an S onto a stone, the marker to be the site of the energy creature's next victim. As he shouts the name, Superboy! 
We discover the creature is an alien when it travels to Earth via purple asteroid, and it attacks Lana to lure out Superboy. Hey, Henry, what's going on? Some weirdo with the biggest Roman candle I ever saw, and he's shooting it at everybody. He's got Lana. So he turns into Superboy to face the menace. When Superboy arrives, Lana is being threatened and Supes intervenes. The alien tells Superboy, I watched you long enough, and now I've come to challenge you. There's no need to shout, mister. Uh, Superboy, he'll kill you. Eventually, I kill them all. Let her go. She has served her purpose for now. Prepare yourself, Superboy. This body is strong and fast. It has seen many battles on many worlds, but you are its greatest challenge. Get back, Lana. This might get nasty. But Super Do it. The alien warrior then knocks Superboy aside, and when Lana rushes it, defending Superboy, it throws her aside as well. The two superpowered beings then fight, each knocking each other down until with one final blow, the warrior falls, pronouncing Superboy a great warrior with powers that it only wishes it had, and then it falls silent. Paramedics arrive at the instant. The fight is over and announce that both Lana and the being are dead. Superboy seems on the verge of tears when he leans over Lana's body, but hears a heartbeat. Then, while Superboy is looking away, telling the paramedics Lana is alive, the purple energy being hisses out of the warrior and enters Lana. At the hospital... How is she? I don't know yet. We're still waiting for the test results. Our nurses are monitoring her condition. Any irregularities they'll pick up. Sitting at her bedside isn't going to do either of you any good. You could probably use some sleep. I couldn't sleep if I wanted to. What about that thing? Did Superboy kill it? Well, it's uh, certainly dead, but I hardly think Superboy is the one who killed it. What do you mean? It's no life form we've ever encountered. One thing we know for sure, whatever this creature was, it's been dead for years. How can that be? I, I watched Superboy fight it. The one thing it wasn't was dead. That's what has us stumped. The body itself seems perfectly preserved. We even extracted some fluid from it, a chemical similar to formaldehyde. Embalming fluid? That doesn't make any sense. I know. They're waiting for me in surgery, Clark. I have to run. I'll come by later and check on her. I'm supposed to be doing some good here. Helping people, not endangering the ones I love. Especially you. When we were kids in Smallville, you're like my little sister. You were always there for me. And I was always there when you needed me. Till today, I hate seeing you like this. So helpless. There's things that if I told you, I know that you would understand. But there's one secret that will always keep us apart. 
only tell you in my dreams. Why does it have to be so hard? I'm Clark, you're like my little sister. But when I'm Superboy, you're the woman I love. What are you doing? You, what have you done to her? This body is weak. Useless to me. It brings me no closer to my goal. I so desire. I destroy your soul. You are what I came for. I can't fight you, not Lana. This body has greater power than I thought. Through her, I can get to you. Surrender yourself and the girl will live. Refuse me. And I'll... No! Destroyed the body that I cherish the most. And now I will destroy the body that you cherish the most. No, don't hurt her! I'll do what you want. Fight on my terms. Release her. You've got your way. So it exits Lana's body, and the two alien visitors then fly from the Earth and land on the alien's asteroid. It's useless to resist me, Superboy. They all tried. But once unconscious, I conquered them from within, preserving their bodies and adding them to my arm. You killed them just to use them to kill others? Why? Why? For the power! I traversed the cosmos, searching for the mightiest beings in creation. Each one I conquered was stronger than the last. Now the ultimate is within my grasp. You! Sorry to disappoint you, but this body's not big enough for the two of us. You fool. You are a fighting machine of unparalleled power. But you squandered that power in helping others. I envy your body, but have only contempt for your values. Such power is wasted on you. But under my control, it will conquer worlds. I've never killed anyone and nothing can make me. You have no choice. I outnumber you three to one. Three of the greatest warriors of the galaxy. I can be anybody or all of them. The energy then disperses into three beams and enters the three remaining bodies it has stored. However, before the alien can finish entering the three bodies, Superboy uses his heat vision to destroy them. The alien roars its anger and heads back toward Earth to kill Lana, and Superboy chases after him. Within moments, Superboy overtakes the alien and arrives in Lana's hospital room just ahead of the alien. Give up, Superboy. It's only a matter of time. And since you can't kill me, I'll have all the time in the world. You will be mine. For within her, I will watch as you die of despair. Go! It then attempts to bypass Superboy and enter Lana, but Superboy sucks it in with his super breath and then collects the alien cloud within himself. 
Superboy then releases the breath into a fire extinguisher and leaves Lana in the room, returning a second later with Clark. Oh, sorry. Look much better. Not better. Tired, but better. How long have I been out? Oh, what happened to that monster? Well, there's a rumor that Superboy has it under control. Yeah. I had the strangest dream about you, too. Superboy was you. And, he was and I was you. Superboy? <laughs> That's good. Dream on, Mama. Dream on. Stay cool, man. <laughs> All right. I can tell from watching this that this was written by two comic book guys. This is definitely a story you would see in a comic of that time. And this is the kind of episode that there's really not as much to uh, really bite into in this particular episode. It's basically a 20 or so minute fight. And it starts with some very cheap looking shots of Superboy flying and... Uh, you see someone watching him catch Lana basically through a, a plume of a purple smoke. And uh, the onset flying looks good, but his landings are good. His takeoffs are good when he's in the shot with others. But when he's on his own by himself with either the, uh, I don't know if it's green screen or blue screen at that time or rear projection, those are the shots that look pretty awful. So Lana is quite starstruck around Superboy and then plants a kiss on him. And yeah, he seems to be enjoying it. I mean, really, who wouldn't? So, some of these alien effects on the spaceship look like something out of a bad Doctor Who episode. You know, back when Doctor Who looked uh, really, uh, really cheap and really fake. I mean, I know, you know, most of the stuff I watch is just sets. But you at least have to make some kind of effort to convince me that this is real. And obviously the fact that this is all black, all in darkness, just hides the fact that there's really no set to speak of. So, this uh, alien cloud thingy is... uh, Basically going to take over what looks like a medieval uh, jouster. I mean, I know that's not exactly what it is, but that's pretty much what it looks like. And he uncovers uh, this S on a rock, and that means he's uh, he's after Superboy. I mean, we got uh, only uh, 20 or 2 or so minutes in this episode, so you got to get to what you got to do pretty quick. So now uh, Clark and Lana are playing a 1980s-style video game, and uh, if you listen very closely, you can kind of hear the sound effect from Superman 3 when Ross Webster is shooting uh, the rockets from uh, the Ultimate Computer. It's the sound uh, that you hear uh, when the game ends and Superman is flying kind of in a loop and off the screen. So they leave. Uh, Lana's going to class and Clark is going somewhere else. And they're walking on the grass here. Lana forgot her books and uh, Clark catches a baseball that there was a couple of other guys on the grass here having a catch. And I guess uh, one of them made a bad throw and uh, Clark catches the ball and uh, his lips just kind of fell onto Lana's lips. And that's uh, kind of how he's trying to make it appear. This was the first time uh, that I can recall, at least, that Stacy Haddock's Lana doesn't look all done up. You know, this is kind of the first time when she actually looks like a college student that just kind of rolled out of bed, which she looks normal. And I guess sometimes I just like uh, normal more than uh, super hot. I guess that makes it look a little more relatable, I guess. I don't know. But there's something about the, her look in this episode with kind of her frizzy hair and a little less makeup that appeals to me more than Lana when she's all uh, gussied up. 
But of course, uh, she's grabbed by our, our alien, uh, jouster. And, uh, this is, I believe, the first time we're seeing Clark's dorm room. And, uh, the setup is a little bit weird as kind of the beds are more in the middle of the room with a nightstand between them. Kind of like the kind of setup you would see in a hotel room, except with twin beds instead of full size beds. Normally, at least in any, every dorm room I've lived in, unless we move them around ourselves, the beds were on opposite sides of the room, opposite walls. The only time it wasn't was when a buddy of mine roomed together my senior year, and just to give ourselves more space in the middle of the room, we uh, put the beds in an L shape. But anyway, and enough of my uh, critique of Clark's uh, dorm room decorating abilities. But he does uh, take his uh, little drink here. I'm not sure if that's soda or water or whatever, or seltzer or whatever it is, but he uh, chills it with his super breath. And uh, do you have any idea how handy that is? Especially with the amount of time I forget to put my beverages in the fridge. I'm always drinking something warm because I tend to forget. As she's grabbed by our alien friend here, Alana is uh, protesting, and uh, these uh, three pieces of 80s beefcake stand up for her and uh, basically get shot for their trouble. And if you're listening closely, you can hear more uh, pilfered sound effects. When the alien points his weapon at Alana, it sounds an awful lot like a lightsaber. And they believe Clark is on the phone with TJ when while Alana is being threatened. They're having some kind of conversation about the Daily Planet, and Clark is there with his dad, and uh, I think Clark has to go pick him up at the airport or something like that. Anyway, it's really not important, as well of our action is right here uh, on the campus. Clark hears what's going on, he comes to the window, someone tells him what's going on, and he changes to Superboy, and here we go, we're going to have our big supervillain fight for the majority of this episode. So Superboy uh, saves Lana, and everybody else is running away. Lana hides behind Superboy as if she's going to protect him. Run, stupid, run! Nothing you can do here. Run, Lana. And, uh, after, uh, the alien knocks Superboy into an electrical transformer. Lana attacks the alien and is thrown right to the ground. Not sure what she was trying to accomplish, but she did not accomplish it. So uh, now we've got a fight on our hands. This alien can somehow move in that suit of armor. Superboy really can't do much but get shot. I'm kind of wondering if this is supposed to be the first time he has fought someone on his level. And at least for me, this is where John Hames Newton is kind of coming into his own as Superboy. I mean, this episode, while some of the... Uh, Visuals are cheesy. This is a little more of a straight-up comic book story. And uh, look, in his early 20s, Hames Newton is old enough to be called Superman. So uh, after the fight, both of our alien combatant and Lana are dead. And I like the way this has been shot. For the first time, the camera is looking up at Superboy a lot. And John Hames Newton here looks a lot like Christopher Reeve here. Just in some of his expressions. I mean, I don't get too bent out of shape of saying when I say that people look like certain uh, other actors to play Superman because when you think about it, Superman has a very specific look. So it only makes sense that the people who portray him in live action look alike because they share that look. No one's ever going to mistake him for Christopher Reeve, but he's channeling a little bit of Christopher Reeve in this performance. I'm seeing it here more than anything else. Superboy is detecting Alana's heartbeat and that she's alive. And we have this little uh, pink effect here, which I guess means to tell us the alien Went from the jouster into Lana. So here's the twist. And we have uh, a doctor exposition coming in from surgery to uh, give us the, the update. The alien presence can keep dead bodies operating, so to speak. And uh, that leaves Clark pretty troubled. As I think this is the first time, at least as I recall, in the nine episodes I've watched, eight episodes prior. This is the first time that Lana has been attacked because of him. Because she knows Superboy. Usually... She kind of just gets herself into trouble throughout the course of the story, and he's had to help her. This is the first time that I can recall 
Lana being attacked as a means to get to Superboy. So John Hames Newton, I mentioned before, he's come a long way in these nine episodes. You know, I thought he was a little bit wooden when we met him in the Jewel of Tetrakal, but it seems like he's getting a little more comfortable in the role. You know, nine episodes in, that's time to uh, to start to feel comfortable and start to make the role, role his own a little bit. And he's talking about how he considers Lana like a little sister, which is consistent with post-crisis Superman lore. And apparently, uh, he says uh, Superboy, I don't remember the exact wording off the top of my head, but the alien hears the word Superboy, and it's like a keyword. It just brings the alien to life. And now it's uh, going to get up and start talking shit between uh, itself and Lana. The modulation on the voice is a little off when you listen to this scene. And I don't know if this was intentional or it wasn't, but it doesn't happen all the time. But once in a while, you can hear Stacey Heidegg's voice coming through the... Uh, modulated alien voice so i'm not necessarily sure how uh that happened so to save lana he's going to give the alien control of his body at least that's what you're implied as uh the pink cloud flies away but basically uh what's gonna happen is they're gonna fight to the finish here if superboy loses he loses his body so and we're gonna fight in the crappy looking spaceship so even though it looks cheap this is probably the most comic book like thing to be put on the screen in live action to this point i mean i I can literally see this happening in a late 80s comic book. And uh, the alien basically believes Superboy is uh, wasting his life by not using his powers to conquer. It's an old argument from plenty of villains. And Superboy is really pissing off this alien by destroying uh, the other bodies, preventing it from uh, taking them over to fight him. Uh, the alien's plan was to fight Superboy three-on-one, but he kind of took care of that, even the odds, by destroying the other three vessels. So now it's Superboy versus the translucent uh, light on Earth. And how do you fight an intangible alien? Well, you inhale it and blow it into an oxygen tank. I'll be honest, I didn't see that coming. But these are the ways in which Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer work. So Superboy leaves and uh, Clark comes back with the uh, tank in his hand. And the alien is still in there when Lana wakes up. And does Lana dream that Clark was Superboy? And I almost want to wonder, maybe she has kind of a faint recollection of what happened while the alien was uh, controlling her body. The jouster was dead, so it would obviously have no memory of what happened while the alien was inhabiting it. But maybe because she was alive and uh, semi-conscious that she had some memory of what happened. So Clark puts the alien into uh, a research freezer in the college, and uh, that just doesn't seem like a good idea. That seems like it's ripe for something to go wrong. And honestly, when I watched this, the first thing I thought of after Clark puts it in the freezer, tells it to stay cool, I wanted to know if was this followed up on or was this the kind of thing where Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer, as comics people, know, basically know you never throw away something that you might be able to use again. And so I looked ahead to the upcoming episode list and uh, episodes 13 and 14 are a two-part Revenge of the Alien episode. And that's going to be the follow-up to this. We'll get to that in about three weeks, as we have to finish uh, The Last Ruby Spears next week, episodes 11 and 12, the week after, and then the week after that, 13 and 14. As after next week's episode, this show will become all Superboy all the time. But one of the nice things is that it's 13 and 14, which means I'll be able to cover the entire two-parter in the same episode. Actually, I looked ahead through the rest of this series, and there are multiple two-parters, and all but one I'll be able to cover in... The same episode. I believe uh, the part, two-parter called Threesome in either season three or season four, where uh, part one is uh, the the back half of one episode and part two is the front half of the next. 
and I really don't want to mess around with the order to put them all together, nor do I, do I want to cover three episodes in one episode, because then that just throws everything off. So, that being said, I'm, I have nothing further to say about this episode. Not really a lot to say about this episode, because it's a long fight. There's really not a lot to say. It was a good-looking alien fight. I'll, t- I'll put it this way. The fight between Superboy and the alien in this episode is much better than some of the fighting I'm going to talk about in the next one. Let's just say that. But I'm almost predisposed to like anything Mike Carlin or Andy Helfer put out, especially in the late 80s. So I don't think that was a bad episode. I wish it looked better, but that's not- there's nothing you can do about that with the budget this show has. So I'm going to take another break at this point, play another promo, and then I'm going to finish this episode off with Troubled Waters. Hang around, folks. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's for all mankind, a super friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my super friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. Alright, welcome back folks. I'm going to finish this episode off with Troubled Waters. Original broadcast date was December 10th, 1988. This was directed by Reza Badie and was written by Dick Robbins. Guest cast includes Julia Donald as Ellen Jensen, Salome Jens as Martha Kent, Danny Kamen as Borkner. Norman Lund as Bennington, Peter Palmer as Kenderson, Joe Tomko as Corbin, Stuart Whitman as Jonathan Kent, and uh, Stuart Whitman and Salome Jens will play the roles of Jonathan and Martha Kent throughout the series. Uh, just a note, uh, Salome Jens is still alive, but as of this recording on March 29th, uh, Stuart Whitman died earlier uh, this year, I believe on March 16th, at the ripe old age of 92. And John Zenda played Jarvis. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Approximately 30 citizens are seated in Town Hall, listening to a Mr. Cal Kenderson, who claims he wants to help them by buying their farmland. Despite the prosperity, the rest of the country is enjoying. Mr. Kenderson, would you tell me then why you want to buy our farmland, hmm? when agriculture here is in such a depressed state? My combine has large cash reserves. You farmers can't last until the good times come back, but I can. He's right. I can't last another season. Don't panic now. You've been hanging in so long. Give it some more time. You still work for the bank, Miss Jensen? You know I do, Mr. Kenderson, in the mortgage department. Can you guarantee that your bank president, Mr. Bennington, will extend the mortgages? I don't think anyone can guarantee that at this point. Well then, if you're ready to deal, my colleagues in the back of the room have contracts ready to be signed. Now hold it, everybody. Just hold it. He's not interested in any farming. He's interested in what lays below our land. Might be uranium, gold, oil. We don't know. Just give me a couple of days. I'll go to the state capitol first thing in the morning, and I'll check it out with the geology. Hmm? All right then, Mr. Kent. You do what you have to do. I'll give you all one week, and then you sign, or I'm gone. Then, while Jonathan and his friends are celebrating his idea, Kenderson meets the two of his colleagues in the back of the room, 
and tells him to make sure Jonathan doesn't get to the state capitol. The next day, Jonathan suffers injuries after a suspicious-looking crash while driving his tractor. At the hospital, Ellen Jensen reaches Clark by a phone in his dorm. Hello? May I speak to Clark? Yeah, just a minute. Lovely voice. Hello? Clark, this is Ellen. It's Ellen. Hi, what's going on? Pa's in the hospital. What happened? His tractor went wild and he went into a ditch. I told him to get rid of that piece of junk. It was due for an accident. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of those kind of accidents since the Kenderson people came to town. If it keeps up, somebody's going to get killed. OK, look, I'm going to be on a plane within an hour. And I'll be on the one o'clock bus to Smallville. I'll pick you up at the depot. After Ellen hangs up, we see a man in the waiting room lower his newspaper, and it's one of Kenderson's flunkies. Clark actually arrives by plane, and then when Ellen picks him up at the bus depot, Kenderson's thugs are waiting for them. When Clark and Ellen kiss, the men arrive, pick on Clark, and smear him with mud. Clark falls to the ground, his glasses break, and then he crushes the car's bumper in anger. And the goons, not noticing, say he's not worth it, and leave. Later, Clark and Ellen arrive at the Ken farm. <laughs> Ma, should he be out walking about? You just got out of the hospital. Oh, holding that holding. You're starting to sound like your mom. <laughs> well, goodbye, everybody. I have to get back to the bank. <laughs> oh, won't you stay for some fresh apple pie? I really can't. Thanks anyway, Mrs. Kent. Thanks for the lift. I'll, um, see you tonight. You'll be in big trouble if you don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did I mention to you guys how good it is to be home? I never tire of hearing it. What's happened to your glasses, Clark? I ran into a couple of Kenderson's boys in town. Uh, Tell me about him, Paul. Well, well, you know, you're still pretty young. I wouldn't want you doing anything foolish that might tip off who you really are. I don't want any more accidents happening to you. What's he after? Well, he's been grabbing up all the land around here and claiming he wants to farm it. He doesn't want to farm it. I know that. Your paw thinks there's something valuable under our land. Well, you can bet on that. Uranium, gold, oil, maybe even platinum. I was going over to the Bureau of Mines to check it out this morning when... You don't need the Bureau of Mines, Paul. I'll check it out for you. How are you going to do that? I've been developing my uh, X-ray vision. Well, now you know that the apple pie is waiting. <laughs> Clark is next seen shooting new glasses from a small cupboard in what appears to be the garage. He tries on several pairs before settling on one and then finds an old slingshot that makes him smile. He then finds Pa, who is under the tractor working. Pa? Yeah. I don't understand it. I checked from Pete Owen's property all the way down by Dry River, and I didn't see any mineral deposits. we got to find something, Clark. We gotta find what Kenderson wants before it's too late. Meanwhile, the Kenderson thugs are nearby setting up another accident. This time it involves placing a rock on the gas pedal of a truck, fuel truck and aiming it at the Kent farm. Clark, still bending and speaking with Pa, hears the truck and runs out to stop it. When he reaches out to stop the vehicle, it explodes and Clark, down in full Superboy costume, watches as the men speed away in their truck. At Kenderson's office, Clark overhears Kenderson on the phone talking about water. 
I've got the contract in my hand. I know what's in it. Wait until the end of the week and I'll deliver his promise. Look, I lowered the price from 20 cents a gallon to 15. You can't buy water any cheaper than that anywhere else I know of. I got the farmers in the palm of my hand. By the end of the week, everything will be signed, sealed, and delivered. I'll call you back later. If it isn't the poor college boy who lost his buttons. Well, well, well. I got a hunch the kids might be ready to sell. Huh. Have a seat. If one more accident happens to a Kent, you're going to be running your rotten business from a hospital bed, Kenderson. What you do, college boy? Take some get tough pills? Now hold it, son. I'm here to help any farmer who wants to get out from under his debts. Like I said, any more attempts in the farmhouse, you're going to be sorry. You fools! Nobody talks to me like that. Nobody! See that he can't talk at all for the next six months. The thugs follow Clark outside and begin beating the car we came in with bats and with wood. And Clark watches them and does nothing until they turn their attack on him. This time he throws both men through the window of Kenderson's office, announcing that he's into pumping iron, and then peels out of their driveway and speeds off. Next we see Clark at the town hall discussing the water. But you told me this afternoon, Clark. You're sure about that? I'm sure of it, Paul. I was using my x-ray vision to look for minerals. When I saw that river, it didn't mean anything to me. But when I found out about Kenderson's deal to sell the water, it made sense. Everybody, would you please take a seat and settle down? Mr. Bennington from our bank was good enough to accept our invitation to come here. My son has got some information about those land grabbers and what they really want. Son? There's a river running under our land. Kinnison doesn't want our farms. He wants what's under them. He has a contract with the city of Benford to sell water. Thanks, sir. Mr. Bennington, our government and the Soviets have been negotiating a contract to sell them grain. Well, we've got a lot of that grain stored in our community silo. Now, as soon as that deal is cut, we can pay off all our loans. All we need is a little time. Thank you, Mr. Kent. It's not the proper way to run a business. But I've been your neighbor for over 20 years. Sure, I'll extend your loan. <laughs> Since you got me into this, Ellen, I'm going to give you the responsibility of checking out the silo tomorrow morning. If it's full, then I can tell my board of directors I'm not out of my head for holding off on these foreclosures. All right, now I'll go with you. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> The next morning, Pa and Ellen drive up to the silo where they see Kenderson and his two thugs hooking up gas to the silo. Jonathan tells them to get away from there, and when a thug pushes him, good old Pa socks him one in the face. Ellen grabs Kenderson, telling him everyone will know what they've done, but he laughs, telling her at least one silo a year accumulates enough natural gas to blow itself sky high, and he slaps her unconscious. The second thug joins in the fight against Jonathan, 
And although Pa Kent manages to knock him down as well, he's soon overwhelmed and they push him into unconsciousness as well. Kenderson tells his men to put Kent and Ellen in the jeep, and they'll think they drove up just as the silo exploded. Martha and Clark on the porch of the Kent home discuss how the fields are ready for farming because Clark removed all the stones. Martha says she's worried about Pa and Ellen, that they should have been home an hour ago. So Clark turns to Superboy to investigate. When he arrives, he finds them unconscious in the jeep. Superboy uses his super breath to awaken them. Oh, oh Clark. Take it easy, Mr. Kent. Oh, sorry, Superboy. I was praying that my son would come. Superboy, Kenderson and his thugs pumped hydrogen gas into the silo. They're going to blow it up. Move your truck out of here fast, uh, Mr. Kent. Superboy flies off after the goons. He catches up to them just as they're about to blow the silo. Heat visions their remote detonator and then tells them, you can get all the water you want in prison and you won't have to pay a cent for it. Our final scene has the Cantonellen sitting around a table on the front porch sharing a meal. I never dreamed I'd meet Superboy, but he saved us and I didn't even get a chance to thank him. I tell you what, if I ever run into him, I'll thank him for you. If anybody doesn't want my chicken, I won't hear it. <laughs> Well, Ellen, would you get that? Hello? Um, who is this? It's Ellen. Who's this? Oh, hi, hi Ellen. This is uh, Lana. I'm... Is Clark there? Of course. I mean, I'm calling his house. How dumb. <laughs> Just a minute, Lana. Hello? Hi, friend. <laughs> um, we're calling to find out how your dad's doing. It's Lana. He's doing great, actually. What's doing at Schuster? TJ wants to know if you're going to be back by Friday to make the last edition of the Herald. I'll be there. Give everyone my best in Smallville. Okay, I will. Must be nice renewing old acquaintances. <laughs> you shouldn't worry about Ellen. Is she still gorgeous? She's a gorgeous good friend, Lana. Just like you. Bye. All right, so here we have the classic story of uh, the businessman coming to town to uh, buy out the uh, the farmers, to buy out their land. Normally, this kind of thing is because they want to build a strip mall or something like that. This time, he it's going to turn out that he wants to sell the water underneath the land and... So uh, the first thing you notice that the uh, the banker's colleagues sitting in the back of the room do not look very friendly. And uh, Jonathan Ken is the only one putting up a fight over all this. And uh, the other farmers are concerned about losing their land, and are rightly so. Uh, there's some kind of farming uh, depression going around that, going on around here. And uh, this guy, Kenderson, is uh, looking to take advantage. Uh, typical slimy businessman. And uh, at the end of the meeting, he tells his uh, colleagues in the back to... Make sure Jonathan doesn't get to the state capitol to get to the geologists. Because Jonathan thinks there might be gold or uranium underneath his uh, Kansas land. He's going to find out that he's wrong, but there is something as uh, valuable under the land. And I'm not necessarily sure why uh, Pa needs to go all the way to the state capitol for this. You would think the county would have that information on record. He would need to go all the way to the state, but I guess he does. Which... We never actually see him attempt to go to the state, but he just says that he's going to. They're going to mess with Jonathan's tractor, and he kind of gets uh, thrown off the tractor in one of the gentlest accidents I've ever seen. Basically, it looks like the tractor rolls down a little uh, 
into a little ditch and Jonathan jumps off. That's basically what it looks like. This episode does not do a very good job of selling anything. Even some of the fights in this episode are absolutely laughable. So after uh, falling off the tractor in this accident, Pa hits his head and got a little bit of blood trickling down from his forehead. That's how we know. And then Martha is, uh, you know, panicking, asking very quietly for someone to help. But there's nobody around. It's a big farm and uh, there's nobody there to help. So apparently uh, Ellen, she's uh, the secretary at the bank and uh, she is somebody both Lana and Clark know. And and Ellen calls uh, Clark's dorm room and is a little bit uh, put out by the fact that a woman is answering the phone. And uh, apparently Lana makes a face when she realizes that it's Ellen, almost as though she's jealous. Lana and Clark are kind of interesting in these early episodes of the series, and this is something I'll look at as the show marches on, is, you know, there's no doubt that they're good friends, but neither one of them, at least until the previous episode where Clark caught the baseball and uh, landed on Lana's face, show any kind of romantic interest in the other. But the minute there's some competition in town, the claws come out for both of them. You, you're seeing how uh, Lana is reacting to Ellen and uh, how Clark acts around anybody who shows who shows his face around Lana. The kind of thing Smallville would eventually do to the hilt. So apparently Ellen, when she talks to Clark, is calling referring to Jonathan as Pa. And couldn't she just say, your dad or something? Uh, um, maybe that's an old Midwest thing, I don't know. But apparently Ellen is somebody both Lana and Clark know, like I mentioned. And unfortunately, this is something that will never be followed up on because... This is Juliana Donald's only appearance in the show, so this character will never be visited again. She's here for this one episode, and then she's gone. So, Clark is on his way home, and he travels by plane and by bus. In an episode clearly brought to you by Eastern Airlines. I believe we've seen uh, this particular shop before. I want to say Countdown to Nowhere, episode 5 of the series, but I was halfway expecting, expecting Lana to tag along, but she didn't. So, uh, Kenderson's henchmen are now watching uh, Ellen and Clark. You saw the guy watching Ellen as she called him. And apparently, Ellen has a thing about Lana and Clark. And and what's going on with Ellen and Clark here? Because these two kiss as if they're in a relationship. I mean, so what's going on? Does she not go to college? Does she stay behind? Is she, you know, an 18 or 20-year-old bank secretary that uh, or assistant to the uh, CEO, Mr. Uh, Bennington? What's going on with Ellen here? Who is this woman? Is she older? Is she what? We never get any of this information, and it would be nice to know a little bit about these uh, two characters, other than them being quite fond for each other. So, and this is when Kenderson's thugs show up and start mugging Clark and throw mud on him and calling him college boy. Like, oh my freaking lord! This I don't even want to call it a fight, but this is hard to watch. It has got to be one of the most poorly acted fights I've ever seen on screen, and you're gonna see a couple more in this episode as well. But the uh, broken glass on the ground is an iconic shot whenever we see it. One of the biggest ones I can think of is uh, Superman number 100, the death of Clark Kent storyline. But, you know, one thing I like about, you know, seeing Clark as Superboy here, a young Superman, the look on his face when he's getting shamed by these uh, two morons. He's pissed and he wants to knock these guys into uh, next week and he just takes it because he doesn't want to reveal to anybody that he is Superboy, and rightly so. And everybody, you know, stands there like uh, stone statues. Uh, I guess these extras across the street weren't paid to move or anything. They're just watching Clark and Ellen get their asses beat right right on the sidewalk. So, you know, way to go, Smallville. That's one way to look after your own. 
And now they're back at the farm and uh, they're cleaning up in this basin in the middle of outside. Don't these people have sinks or a bathroom? But, you know, I guess a little more open space here, I guess. I don't know. And uh, here's the first time that we're seeing Clark and his parents together. And yeah, I kind of wonder if uh, they knew he was coming. I don't really remember a lot about Salome Jens and Stuart Whitman as Clark's parents. You know, they don't stand out in the way like Glenn Ford and Phyllis Daxter. Although Glenn Ford really stands out a lot more than Phyllis Daxter does. And they don't stand out the way Eddie Jones and Kay Callen from Lois and Clark would. But, you know, they're on hand to give Clark some uh, sage advice when he needs it. So they are serviceable. This version of Martha Kent is not as active, let's say, as Kay Callan's version of the character will be. At least not in this episode, as she really only cares about feeding everybody. You know, She mentioned like three times in this first scene, see Clark, about the apple pie. So Pa is hesitant about uh, Clark getting involved because, you know, he doesn't want to compromise Clark's identity. And uh, Clark showed that he doesn't want that either during the fight scene. And uh, Clark will do a Superboy-style geological survey as he's working on his x-ray vision. So, so we see, a, a, you know, one of those poorly uh, done green screen shots of uh, Clark flying overhead f- over the farmland and he's checking out something. We don't see what he finds, but what we do see is Clark in the barn uh, or garage or whatever it is, uh, checking out a whole display case full of new glasses. It's good that he has uh, glasses just at the ready at the Kent farm. So here now are Kenderson's men about to cause some more trouble with a runaway truck. And I like this effect that is. He changes into Superboy while his clothes seem to dis- dissolve into the suit. And uh, the truck just kind of explodes right in him. Very nice editing work here done as uh, it looks like Superboy is in there right in front of the truck when it explodes. And then when the smoke clears, he's standing there in all of his glory as Superboy. I'm hesitant to say Clark didn't find anything underground, but he didn't find what he thought he was looking for. Let's just say that. He- Pocket mentioning oil and uranium and gold and platinum not an underground river but that's what kenderson is really after so clark walks into kenderson's office talks tough for a minute and uh then we got our two thugs who again don't look like they've had any mental growth since they were 12 and you would think a guy like kenderson with all of his money would be able to hire better thugs you know other than these two morons and now we're going to get more horrible fighting as kenderson is insulted by how clark treated him and one of them tries to hit clark with a garbage can and he kind of deflects it and causes one of the guys to dive through the window literally clark takes the garbage can and the guy basically runs face first through a window they didn't even make the attempt of making it look like clark threw him it just looks like momentum carries the guy right through the window with a timely leap just before he gets to uh the wall so he can go through the window and not the bricks and then the other one, he taps with a car door and sends him running through the window as well. Just, ah, If this is the best they can do to sell a fight, they need to do better. Because I think I sprained something in my eyes as I rolled them during this fight. So, I guess stunt guys, those are not. If they are, they're not very good. I mean, I don't know why you would cast something other than stunt guys in this particular role. You don't you don't need an Emmy-winning actor to play these two morons. I don't even know what the hell, what the, hell their names are. I don't even care. So... There's an underground river underneath the land, and Kenderson wants to tap into it to sell the water, which is actually something around here that is a big deal with development going on here. There's a kind of building up the retail corridor near where I live. There's a Legoland opening about 15 minutes. It's supposed to be opening July 1st, but with the coronavirus situation going on, I don't think it's going to make that. But 
there's a lot of people looking for water around here, and uh, water is a hot commodity. The hot commodity here, and it's apparently the hot commodity there. And these farmers are in debt, so they they need to either make their mortgage or sell their land. And part of me wonders if this guy Kenderson engineered this uh, agricultural depression that the farmers are going through. But apparently, the farmers are waiting for this deal between the United States and the Soviet Union, who have been negotiating a deal to uh, ship some U.S. grain over there. And apparently, uh, this grain is sitting in a silo just outside of Smallville, and that's going to save everybody's farmland. And uh, one of the there's some guy who brings this information to uh, Kenderson. His name is Corbin, John Corbin, perhaps. But I, I, this is not the guy who becomes Metallo later on. And sure enough, Kenderson's bozos are going to set the grain on fire. I guess it's not insured against uh, explosion. And uh, Pa Kent here is showing some backbone as he's fighting Kenderson's goons. And again, not buying this at all. This is this is like fighting while you're stuck in the freaking mud. I can't imagine how, how anybody is hurting anybody. Nobody. It's obvious none of these bulls are even making contact. I mean, they're not selling these for crap. And I don't understand why Clark didn't go with them to the silo. I mean, I know he's trying to keep Superboy out of it, but that's not going to be possible. I mean, this is a Superboy show. Superboy's going to be involved. And for a minute there, Superboy was flying. It looked as though there was some smoke, but I was wrong. It must have been just kind of a trick, a trick of the optics because nobody has set the grain on fire yet. And the Superboy shows up and he wakes up uh, the unconscious Jonathan and uh, Alan as they're both in the truck. Nothing like some cold air to break you out of a cold slumber. And of course, Pa calls him Clark and... That's a mistake Kent's intend to make, but but we just chalk that up to a delirium, and he says he was expecting Clark to show up, which I guess works, and, and it saves Ellen from any further confusion. At first, I thought Superboy was going to handle this without being seen by Kenderson and his goons, and as the heat visions the uh, detonator from afar, and maybe they could have just called the cops on Kenderson and his goons and caught them with the uh, detonator, but then we would have been denied this great shot of Superboy standing on the back of their car and uh, announcing that they can get all of the water they need in prison. So we end the episode with Ellen upset because she didn't get a chance to say thank you to Superboy. So, of course, now Lana calls the Ken Farm and Ellen answers the phone, leading to more awkwardness on both sides. Why does nobody answer their, their own phone in their own places? I don't know. But again, I want to know more about Ellen and her history with Clark and Lana, but we don't hear about any of that. And we'll never see Ellen again. And I don't know what's going on with Clark and Ellen even right now because Clark tells Lana over the phone that Ellen is just a friend. So did he friend zone her in front of his parents? Which is not cool, especially after the lip lock they shared at the beginning. But oh my God, this episode could have been good, but they just don't sell it. The actors, and I'm not talking about Newton and uh, our regular cast, but. But the guest stars are just, they didn't show up, let's just say that. But it is good to see the Kents, and this is the uh, first time we see uh, the Kents kind of interact with uh, the hero in live action. So that's a new dynamic for television. This show is going to lean, lean into that a little bit, and it's going to be played to the hilt in Lois and Clark. And when I really think about this show, it's more young Superman than, than Superboy. When I think Superboy, I think like a young teenager, a middle school to high school kid. It's kind of strange seeing them call... 20-something John Hames Newton Superboy. And they'll get even weirder when the Pushing 30 Gerard Christopher shows up in Season 2. But again, this is an episode that could have been better, but just, it's hard to watch. So, next time, we'll go to something easier to watch as we finish off 1988 with 
the end of the Ruby Spear Superman, the Superman story, the last time I saw Earth, and the Superman album story, it's Superman. Until then, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Till next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright, their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.